forget the system. Who's the person in front of me right now? What do they need to be more in flow? What do they need to be more in their power? What do they need to be more like robust, resilient, to have more fun, to really Mm want to do this thing, to be interested in achieving what they want to achieve? So kind of sometimes putting aside the program, which doesn't mean putting aside the goal. This means like putting aside the program and dealing relationally with the person. That was Aaron Cantor, and you're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast. If there's one thing that has completely changed my approach to supplementation, it's been finding performance herbalism. Herbalism is different than your typical supplements, particularly because herbalism works by harnessing the power of nature. It involves using tried and tested, high-grade, well-sourced herbal compounds to make a difference in your energy, strength, boost your hormonal system, and improve your overall vitality. That's what today's sponsor, Lost Empire Herbs, can bring to you. Whether it's through Shiliajit Resin, which has been highly recommended by many coaches for improved strength, mushroom tinctures for immune support, combination packages such as the Phoenix Formula, which is one of my favorites, Lost Empire Herbs has the supplements that will help you in achieving your performance training goals. If you want to check out some of my favorite herbs, you can head to lostempireherbs.com slash justfly and use the code JOEL15 at checkout. That's J-O-E-L-1-5 at checkout for 15% off. Lost Empire Herbs is a great company and I hope you get a chance to check them out. Today's podcast is also sponsored by Team Builder. Team Builder is an online software for coaches and trainers. If you're looking for an in-house training portal for your training groups or an online training hub, be sure to check out the Team Builder training software. Welcome to another podcast. Thanks for being here. Back in the summer of 2021, I went to Rafe Kelly's uh, Evolve Move Play Return to the Source Retreat north of Seattle, Washington. I had a lot of great experiences there, roughhousing, doing parkour in trees and streams, learning nature games, learning more about how to carry out skills, uh, learn new things athletically and uh, in a community fashion. And it was there I also met uh, Evolve Move Play coach Aaron Cantor. Aaron has over two decades of experience working in the movement and training space. Uh, These include practices such as yoga, physical training, movement culture, uh, movement improvisation, uh, to name a few. Aaron has an incredible gift to make movement, physical training, roughhousing, martial arts, sport play, whatever you're doing, fun and meaningful on a level that brings you more fully into the present moment and basically helps and helps you to deepen your skill and the meaning that you get out of what you are doing. So often we look at only the, you could say the outer game, the outer elements, the exterior principles that govern the framework of training, sets and reps and, and exercise mechanics and those things. And those things are really important. But something that we don't talk about a lot and that needs more discussion is the inner game. What happens from a meaning perspective? How do we use our intuition and our creativity? How do we get into flow states more readily? And when we can master the inner game with the framework of the outer game, we can really achieve not only better results, but we can have more fun in the process. So we'll be chatting all about the elements of the inner game, exploring movement, intuition, and ultimately getting more meaning out of physical skills. We also do get into how to apply this to more, uh, you could say more muscular, more physical development type practices. And we'll jump into today's conversation actually talking about the warm-up practices of Diego Maradona. I've uh, had a few posts and emails and things about this, but if you don't know who Maradona is, you can check, you can YouTube him. Uh, Diego Maradona, one of the greatest soccer players of the 1980s and of all time, Uh, who would dance, clap, and juggle a soccer ball to the music before games, amongst other, uh, you could say, eccentric activities, but then would proceed to dominate on the field. Uh, So we'll start with him as an example, or talking about his uh, work and warm-ups as an example of the inner game leading into success in the outer game and go from there. It was awesome having Aaron on the show. He is a good friend of mine, and I'm happy that I met him several years ago through Evolve Move Plays retreats, and I'm excited to get this podcast going for you guys. So. Let's get to episode 380 here with Aaron Cantor. It's such a different way of communicating. I mean, obviously, just playing and physically interacting with somebody is different than just talking to them. But there's such an interesting interaction, too, when you are poor at it and they are really yeah. good and you, you're good at a different sport. I remember just even playing with, um, I remember trying to receive a few serves from some of the tennis guys at Cal. And like, I'm like, there's a, if I even get my racket on this, I win yeah. in my own mind. Well, 
impossible. <laughs> like, how do you do it? Yeah, but it was just cool because after that, you know, you have a new like link with that person you were playing with instead of just like, hey, I'll teach you weights and body weight strength movements. You, you come out and you are part of what they're doing. And you, you know, even sure. if they just smoked you with a bunch of serves, it's still fun. You still have a new line and uh, of yeah. just knowing and communication. That was always fun too when I was able to do that and extremely humbling too. Totally. Yeah, to be on the receiving end of that kind of power and skill, it gives you a big appreciation for what they're facing too, you know? Yeah. In terms of mental pressure. And so, as, as, a, as a strength coach for them, I think it probably makes a lot of sense too. Yeah. The like, you, like you get a, a better sense of what their world is. Yeah. The pressure of, hey, do this lift or whatever is nothing compared to, hey, return this serve coming at you that's spinning at 130 miles an hour with everyone watching, you know, and it, you know, there's the repeatability factor. It is, the, I, the more layers of experience you can interchange, I just think is so good with that stuff. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, since we, um, I think since we had talked about a week ago, I had gotten a bunch of people, it's just funny, like I hadn't had anyone send me these videos. Uh, maybe a year ago, someone sent me like a Maradona warm-up video with soccer. And then since we last yeah. talked, we were discussing it. Uh, two people sent me Maradona warm-up videos just randomly out of the blue. And I was like, oh, yeah, we definitely need to have a conversation on this, you know. And, and I, was, I was watching it again, you know, after spending time with you in Asheville. And I watched, it's like, there's all the things that we were using for, with your warm-up. There's like, there's kind of like the shaking type stuff. Uh, you know, and then there's yep. that. Um, yeah, the swing of the limbs, right? Yeah, like yeah, the, the rolling or getting down, getting up. Yes, yeah, yeah, that's there too. It's it's like yeah. there's so many commonalities there, and it's just it's funny because you look at him and you think, oh, what a unicorn, you know? Like, but it would be interesting, you know. Just I don't know. What if everybody just decided, hey, let's all warm up like him today? You <laughs> know, sure. And uh, just saw yeah. how that felt that out. Yeah, I love I love that idea. And for him, it's like, there's something about like the Maradona mind, right? To like be that intimate with a ball that that just is what comes naturally or that's like what he wants to, it's like, oh, I want to learn how to roll, fall and keep the ball at my feet, right? I want to like, there's all these things that just like, I think if we can think of what we do more like that, it becomes like, it might look different for everybody, but there's a sense of like, really playing with the limits of what's possible, yeah. which I think he was doing. It's not a conventional warm-up, but it's like clearly deeply embodied and like it's going gonna, it's gonna to help him on the field. Yeah, I think... Even with, though... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Well, even though a lot of them aren't like uh, standard ball handling techniques, you know? Yeah, I was just going to say what popped in my head is I think the discrepancy with that is people see it and it does resonate with... I mean, people obviously knew who's a good player. Like if if he wasn't a good player, I don't know, maybe people ignore it as well, but you know he's a good player and there's just something about the way that he's doing this and going about this that I, does, I do think resonates with a part of us that knows like the feeling of being a master of something, if that makes sense. But I think where a lot of people would look at that kind of warm-up, and I'll put this you know, in the show notes and all that, I know a lot of people are familiar with Maradona and his warm-ups, um, but I think a lot of people would just look at the outer game. They would just say, well, where does this transfer? What, what in this transfers externally to the sport or the game? Which is actually not very much in that sense of things. He's not going to be sitting there with the ball in sure. his head while he's playing or anything like that. Um, you know, or doing like some of the different motions. But with the inner game, like you, you just said, it's like, it's like this intimate connection with the ball that goes beyond just... Um, you know, external points and transfer points. And, you know, I was thinking too, I don't think you had seen these videos and this wasn't, he, uh, this wasn't quite as like fluid, like, like I think the Latin America thing with the dance and there's the music, it's like live his life, it's on and he's doing it to music. Um, maybe the Western, more <laughs> Westernized counterpart would be Pistol Pete Maravich, who was the NCAA scoring leader at LSU uh, out of the 80s and a kid who grew up with a basketball I like grew up with a basketball in his hand and he had all these different like um like just different dribbling reaction he would take the ball and just like whip it and throw it and bounce it between his legs as fast as he could and it was just like lightning and i think maybe i've heard people say well what do those drills do you don't do that in a game you know you wouldn't take a ball and whip it between and bounce it between your legs in the game or do like he would put the ball in front of his knees and then clap behind his back and then catch it again like stuff like that and 
I think yeah. on the external side of the outer game, you would say, well, what's that doing? But on the internal side, it's like this guy's relationship with the ball is so is completely on another level. It actually goes beyond just the little, you know, all the external things. It, it, in fact, if it was yeah, just yeah. external, it actually couldn't be that deep. It almost has right. to go beyond it. Yeah, looking at how it transfers in terms of just looking at the skill is a very small way to look at it, right? Because the invisible skill is his relationship to himself, his relationship to timing, his relationship to space, his relationship to the object he's manipulating all the time, right? And it's just a sense of like, I know where my hands are. That's why I can clap, clap and catch, you know, like, and if I know where my hands are, I can catch anything. You know, if I know the property of this ball, I can calculate where it is way better than anyone else. So yeah, there's something about the transferability of, of obvious skills. And I think we spend maybe too much time on looking at how obvious skills translate because they do or they don't. But mm. then there's the, the inner skills or the invisible skills that I think are just um, key, like relationship to self and space, timing, yeah, other bodies. Yeah, when you said uh, your relationship to self, I was kind of going back to the Maradona thing and I was thinking about like, what is it that strikes people about his warm-up? And there is that, um, like the relationship, well, two things. One is like just the joy in it, like the just the joy and just love of playing and and his process with the ball. But then his relationship to himself, you can tell that he does not give a shit what anyone else thinks about that warm-up, you know? And, and that's right. part of it too, is so much, I think... Um, it was a snowboarder, Sean White, I think he had said, I think he was like the first, mm. he, he is the first one to land substantial. It was like a 1080 something or a, I, sure. I, I, my snowboard literacy is so bad. People He's a dude like, who like just used to do them naked too, right? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Probably. Yeah, I think so. I think, he, I think he got picked off of like a whole bunch of circuits and it was just like, Fuck it, I'm going to do my own thing. So just as a publicity that after he got disqualified from something, he just went off and did the craziest shit totally naked like a spread eagle you know like yeah sean white's amazing yeah he said yeah that kind of that goes with that as he had said that the key to, to hitting these massive tricks was intense focus with slightly not caring and that's the thing is yeah. that that's where the inner game comes in is i i think it's i don't think it's that hard necessarily to find a state of focus you know you spend long enough in like a meditative state there's a lot of different ways to that but i think it's the not caring that gets people because that yeah. that's like like the focus is almost like like the masculine it's it's the action but the not caring is like it's the yin it's like the separation from you know whatever that separation of yourself or what you think you need to be or what other people think of you or the, what if I don't hit this trick or whatever? It's kind of like that that ability to pull away that I, I, I think is so uh, is so important. And I say that too because I think that's something I always struggled a lot with. Like I was the guy who, like probably the highlight of my relatively I would say mediocre because it was just small schools too basketball high school basketball was I hit a game winning shot um, at, at with a, at a big conference game. And, but I only did that because the play absolutely fell apart. Like it was basically, Hey, Joel, go stand in the corner. You know, our point guard's going to go here and the shooting guard's going to go there. And, you know, in the back of my head, I, I saw the coach drawing this play up and I'm kind of thinking, I don't think this is going to work. And I, so maybe I kind of half expected the ball just to get thrown to me at the last second, which it did. The play fell apart. The small forward chucked the ball to me in the corner at the last second. And I wasn't even thinking about it and just, you know, I shot like a 15 foot jumper and it goes in. But if that was like, hey, Joel, you're going to take this shot, I guarantee I would have missed it. And right. Because it's just like, it was just quick enough for me not to be thinking about all the inner stuff, you know, all the what ifs and, sure. and whatever. And so, I've always, I think just stuff like that has always stuck with me. Um, even the only dunk I ever got in a basketball game was when I wasn't even thinking about it. Like, I wasn't even, ex it was actually a go blank subconscious, just, it just happened thing. And every time I thought about it, never went in. And so, uh -huh. I always just thought about how that always kind of had me set off on that inner game, outer game. Cause I, I, the outer game is relatively straightforward, but the inner game is a lot, there's a lot more like deep work. I think you have to do um, yeah. with the craft of that. And that's what makes the elite right. athletes elite, you know, that's, that's really what makes them good. Yeah. And I think it's, it's tricky because if you start to turn inner game or flow state induction 
into a formula, mm. you kind of lose it. You know, there, there isn't, like you said, there's an element of letting go. You actually have to, it's strange. You have to hold on to the thing, meaning you have to focus. And at the same time, you have to let go. Like, don't let go, but completely let go. It's, it's this, uh, yeah, I don't know how people do it, but there's, there's, a, there's a way in that I think we have to learn how to like enter, right? And then there's a feeling that's like, there's a flow state in it. This is why like when I, when I do stuff in workshops, I don't necessarily describe why we're doing it or what we're trying to do. I just say, Hey, do this. We're going to do it for 10 minutes. Right. And in the doing it, like if you don't find your way in, you're going to be absolutely bored. There's no way for you to actually continue this thing. Right. It's just a pattern. So but the pattern kind of draws us into this feeling of like, oh, wow, I feel this rhythm in my body. I feel my weight shifting. I'm noticing the breeze. Like, this is amazing. Like, it induces flow, but not because we're thinking about or trying to do it, simply because, in a sense, it's the lack of like trying. Yeah. It, it is, it is interesting. It gets you there. It's, it's even like in a game, it's like you want to win. There has to be the will to win, but within the will to win, there, if you try too hard, right? Like it, even in, you know, the, you know, the collective mind of, you know, the try hard, right? Like why, what is a try hard? It's someone who obviously we all want to win, but it's someone who hasn't, whose inner game and relationship with winning is extreme. Like everything is striving. Mm -hmm. Everything is, well, if I just put more effort in and right. it is rarely those people who are the true elite athletes that we love to watch. If ever, <laughs> if ever. Right. And, but I don't right. think we talk about it that way. And especially what you said with the formula. I love that because I think in the modern, you know, the modern age, everything needs to be scaled or everyone, everything has to scale to it, basically to sell. You have to have something that's scalable, but that's like kind of funny because that's the irony because I do think there's value right. to systems. There's absolute value with the outer game, especially, but that is like the irony of the inner game is that the more you try to make it a formula the more you're going to lose the inner game, which is kind of, you know, and it is funny because I've talked with other coaches about that, especially coaches who are really creative and coaches who are really good in the session, who oftentimes yeah. do go through a session more intuitively and, and don't always have like a structured plan because I think they've also realized if you have too much structure, especially like early in a session, you can very easily or you will uh, reduce the amount of flow states that you can have. Um, I just think that's, it's, it is just interesting because I, I think so much of what we're used to, things that are viral posts, uh, the way the information circulates, it's all stuff that a lot of times it relates to some sort of system, some sort of, that's like sure. we're wired to think is, is system and one, two, three, follow these instructions and you're good. You know, if you just go one, two, three and do this, then you'll have it. But that's like the irony sure. of the inner game, isn't it? Yeah. And this is why like, I, I prefer simple ways in. To the experience more than a robust, well thought out system. You know, um, like an example is Sistema. It's called the system, right? Sistema is a, is a Russian martial art, and they have four principles. So, like, there's no techniques in Sistema, but we have four principles. We're always going to try to keep our structure, meaning have decent posture. You're going to try to stay relaxed. You're going to make sure that you have freedom of movement all the time. And you're going to keep breathing. That's it. That's what Sistema is. And um, try to have all four. And if you lose one, gain it back by using the other three. And then you like try that when someone's trying to punch you. Try that when someone's trying to knock you over, right? How do you regain your structure? Knock them over by taking their structure. So a lot of the inner work in Sistema is not technical. It's And they, they do that on purpose. They're like, they're not turning it into a technique. It's not like, hey, place your awareness down in the lower dantian, circle it around, and then sink, and then explode out. That's like scripting it almost too much, right? Their thing is like, find a way to just send power into your hand. You yeah. have to figure that out. Um, mm -hmm. So, there's something I like about uh, methods that really invite people to create mastery from within, um, where the, the structure, the constraint, the game is is just enough to get you in the experience, um, but not so much that it kind of overlays the experience with too much conceptual or striving or whatever. Yeah. 
kind of like the empty cup example or the it's like if you've filled up an athlete's cup already there's really no room for any of the magic you know there's no room for the improvisation i think about even like like something that would relate to like let's say running or jumping or sprinting a lot of times in track people will coach a certain way to like point your toe up when you're doing hops or something they'll they'll give these instructions but if you think about it like you could just say find a way to give maximal pop off the ground with your foot find a way to put maximal energy into your foot and now watch what athletes do watch how they solve that problem it might be two different strategies it might not be the same for every athlete but that's the amazing thing about that's the cool thing and as a coach i feel like that is that is a really fun and rewarding thing to i just had a post about this recently but like just to say less so you can observe how people solve that problem and how that comes out versus it's just so common that i think it's just very proliferated hey this is how you're supposed to do this here are three things that you always need to do and there's the the cup's full by the time the athletes go into the movement, their cup's full, and then the coach is constantly pouring more water into it. You know, there's just not that space to to or organize self self organize for the the technical term. But there's just not much space for movement. So I'm sure you could apply that to pretty much everything. You know, but then maybe it's too much of a system. You know, maybe the system is just the most rudimentary starting point. You know, before things get filled out more. Yeah, for me, it's like. It's more of a principle, right? I think a, a principle-based approach versus a systems-based approach is actually an interesting distinction. And I haven't thought too much about it. It's just kind of coming up right now. But so in the world right now, everyone's talking about systems thinking, right? The ecology is a system. The econo- economy is a system. There's all these systems, right? And the problem with systems is that systems are too big and too complex to actually get a grasp on. And even the biggest experts kind of only have like a vague idea of how the system works. Um, And what that leaves out is like the day-to-day interactions. So if I have a systems thinking approach to like how I want to live in the world and how I want to, where I want to buy my food from and like, you know, how I want to be a good citizen, that can actually cloud like getting to know my neighbors or having nice interactions with my kids and my wife and just like, like fuck the systems. Let's get into relationship, right? So I think that that can be applied to to coaching as well. Um, forget the system. Who's the person in front of me right now? What do they need to be more in flow? What do they need to be more in their power? What do they need to be more like robust, resilient, to have more fun, to really mm-hmm. want to do this thing, to be interested in achieving what they want to achieve? Um, yeah. So kind of sometimes putting aside the program, which doesn't mean putting aside the goal. This means like putting aside the program and dealing relationally with the person. Yeah. Yeah. I know, um, you know, your background is probably a little bit different than a lot of guests on the podcast, which is what makes it amazing. You know, all the different facets of, of sure. how we view this thing. But I'm, I'm curious, like if you were to go back to, or to take what you have um, learned into something that is more external, like let's say, I, I know even I've seen you do like strength movements, like a stalter press. Um, something sure. that's more quantifiable. Hey, I want to. I want to be able to do this strength feat or this running feat. Because um, I think ultimately, <laughs> uh, I mean, the the experience is how you experience it. And I, I will say too, even for me personally, how I experience the training is what keeps me moving forward. It it had to eventually get beyond just jump this high, run this fast. But the beautiful part is once you enjoy it more, you actually do get all that. You end up getting that just because you enjoy the training. It typically, <laughs> unless your version yeah. of enjoying the training is very different. Um, but I, I'm curious, you know, I, I've seen you do some really impressive just strength feats. And sure. um, so I'm just curious, how do you apply or how would, what would the phase of going to applying some of these inner game principles into something like a, a strength feat or something that is more uh, quantified or, or has the outer game ram- frame to it? Um, tell me a little bit about how that would work with that type of situation. Yeah. So I guess in yoga, the way it worked, this is before I knew anything about training. Like I wanted to do a handstand and I couldn't, right. But like, I couldn't balance, but I could kick myself up against a wall. Cool. Kicking myself up against a wall didn't seem to actually help me balance, not on the wall. So I would play around with, um, ways of just getting comfortable shifting my weight into my hands and out of my hands right so that was kind of like and i would just do that day in day out like just rock my weight into my hands 
float my feet up and then land on my feet and rock into my hands and float and land on my feet. Um, and gradually that became more and more time on my hands and less and less time falling down or coming onto my feet. Um, so that's just one example. Or another example would be like, I got fascinated with doing things like crow pose, right? Where you kind of balance your elbows, balance your knees on your elbows and, and spend time on your hands. So once I got pretty good at that, I would see if it's possible to like just lift one knee, put it back on, lift the other knee. How about if I straighten that leg? Great. How about if I lift both knees at the same time? Cool. Well, that's almost a press up into a handstand. And I do the whole thing, right? So it was really, I didn't have a set goal as much as I just entered an exploration every single mm -hmm. day. Um, and I think from like the mainstream program approach, I'd be overtraining, right? Like I'm trying the same skill way too many times, way too often, but it never felt like that to me because the goal wasn't the skill. The goal was to like, see if I could do this thing that I was interested in doing. Um, and I think a lot of flexibility got developed that way too. I stuck legs behind my head, and, but not, yeah, it was, it was, it was really like an ex exploration based way of doing it. That's kind of how it developed. And now I have a little more of a, a kind of organized way of putting the exploration together. I think over time I was able to recognize some patterns and use, use that to kind of create little games or little explorations that can kind of much much easierly much uh <laughs> bring me bring me into the place i want to go with more ease you know more quickly more efficient yeah i like what you said there i was originally going to say something else um in response to that but what you said there on the end i think is so cool it was the ease point of it just because like back to the try hard thing it's it's kind of like with any skill there is the exploration helps the harder skill to feel easier because it's like you've fed your body all these different possibilities and it's able to gather them and then kind of make the result feel a bit more effortless versus hey there's one way to do this and just keep trying hard at this one way to do this and it's the exploration that that helps that sense um and i i do know yeah like the variability is what helps you to not overtrain as well doing things differently because you don't overtrain any single joint pathway or anything like that it's also mentally easier one thing that i like doing i just posted this recently and it's funny because it's a little counterintuitive um if you're training for like speed or power usually and, and this is obviously effective but you do like a small amount of reps really intense bursts and a lot of rest and you're training specifically mm -hmm. for power and that that is a cornerstone of that but at the same time with skill with things that are a little more skilled and i know this is popular in crossfit and I know people would have different opinions of this based off it being mm. CrossFit, but it's like an every minute on the minute thing where every minute, you know, every top of the minute you have to do the thing, whatever it is. And I remember sure. I was, I was just time strapped one day for a workout and I did, um, you know, I had my sprint workout all laid out, but I'm like, man, I don't have time for this. So I just did 15 or 20 minutes was on the clock and I had a sled and every minute I just did a sprint. It was the same weight. So very boring, but I found within that framework was i i wanted to explore a little bit each rep i wanted to do something a little different and i yeah, think nice. a, lo a lot of times it's people will just be like all right just do it just run as fast as you can every time go as hard as you can and i think you can get a result doing that for sure but i also think that if you can explore like i think i was actually got it going in phases of three like every other every other third rep i would kind of try this thing related to rotation every other rep i would do something related to rhythm every other rep i would do oh, something related to speed like and, and it was really cool because by the time it was all done you know each rep had to feel like i wasn't being a try hard you know but but by the end of it i was feeling really good and the speed was coming very easily and to me it's like the older i've gotten that's always the goal is make the fast rep at the end be the easiest fast rep you've done yeah, because beautiful. of the exploration you've done along the way um yeah, and I think that's that's just something that doesn't it doesn't get talked about a lot. But it's going back to what you said though too. It is funny because I feel like now that that's a formula, now that I put that formula out there, <laughs> it's not quite right. as cool. I think it could still be very effective, but to be ultimately effective, I might have to say, well, here's the framework. How do you how do you want to do it? You know, yeah. what's your rhythms and explorations that you will choose and obviously i think there needs to be a certain amount of, of work that you've done in the past so you have some other things to try perhaps but you know that's where maybe 
yeah, you, that's where you don't make it too formulaic. You know, the temptation is always, I think, to be like, this is the formula. Well, here's the sure. system. Here, here's the principles. Here's the principles or here's the framework. But you have to fill in the cup. You have to, you know, you have yeah. to actually build the house. I'm not going to build it for you. Right. Yeah. And th that's a big distinction. It's something I'm, I'm, I'm getting some clarity around right now, which is um, the difference between a formula and a trustable way in. They're different mm -hmm. things, right? A formula is like a recipe. You do it this way all the time. Maybe there's some variation, but the creativity comes in like, I put a little bit of cinnamon in this time, mm -hmm. or like I put vanilla in, woo, right? <laughs> but it, it's not a super creative thing. Whereas a way in is essentially like, go to the kitchen, open the fridge, see what you want to eat and make it by the, like, it's, 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 it's just a little more like there's still food, right? You're still making something, but, but there's more space, more dynamism in there. So just kind of, yeah, tr trying to like identify principles and ways in that seems useful. And of course there's, there's time for, for technical stuff too. And there's time for set drills. Yeah. When you were talking about like that, that sprint workout with the sled, I was thinking of um, the one arm running that you shared with me, yeah. right? Like, oh, here I'm running. I just take one arm out. And just that one constraint teaches me so much about spinal motors. It teaches me so much about hip flexion, about propulsion, about how I'm using my feet, right? What my upper body is actually doing in connection to the opposite leg. Like, but none of that has to be known. Mm -hmm. Like maybe a, a geeky coach like you and I could like see all those connections. The athlete just has to do it yeah. and feel the connections, right? And then things that I've added to that, again, not a formula, but like, what is that arm that isn't in doing, right? Well, I can stick it behind my back, right? Or I can hold on to like my shirt, or I can grab a rock and hold it overhead as I run, or I can hold a stick, right? And hold that stick overhead, like I'm threatening somebody as I'm running at them, or like I'm holding a spear. And all these different things have a different um, relationship too. So, yeah. Today's podcast is sponsored by the Plyomat. The Plyomat is a jump testing device that allows you to instantly receive ground contact times, jump heights, reactive strength measurements, and more in your training populations. It's easy to use, accurate, and affordable. And an awesome feature that I love about the Plyomat is it easily allows the connection of not just one mat, but you can string multiple mats together for use in things like multi-hurdle hops and bounding situations. I absolutely love the Plyomat, recommend it. And to check it out, you can head to plyomat.net. That's P-L-Y-O-M-A-T dot net. I love that. With the one arm running too, it is, it is interesting because I know there's the part of me that could dig real deep into all the things that you could feel doing one arm running. And if, again, with the cup, if I said, all right, here, you're going to do one arm running and here's these five things and you're going to feel this and you're going to feel this and you're going to feel this. And now I just kind of, remove some possibility in the sense that you know like for you it's just hey just do something simple or even like a group especially like a group of younger athletes too like if this is like a group of high schoolers like a group of high school boys and we're having them do this i don't think they want to know five things they're supposed to feel you know they're just going to figure it out a right. lot of the way you know and maybe if someone just looks like terrible doing it you can go in and kind of investigate a little more and have a little bit of a conversation with it but there's that's part of the beauty is that people are going to process that different ways and you know, yeah and then and then like the the thing you were saying or we were both talking about ease right maybe the prompt is like do it easily yeah, yeah. you want to get there and you want to get there with as much ease as possible do it in a way where you don't feel pounding right do it lightly in a way you create no sound so these are all little principle they're not the right way to do it but they're very clear um tasks and in Entering the task, you kind of create a map of like the difference between doing it with a, fo a focus on here and a focus on here. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I was just watching, I saw this guy on Instagram doing, it was just, this was just so funny because I don't think this guy has been like formally mentored in any running technique. He was just playing with the treadmill and it was like, all right, I'm going to try to run at 430 mile pace with the slowest possible cadence. So he's basically bounding a mile. Like it's just so funny to watch how his body is organizing this. Sure. I mean, and it was very athletic. And then it's like, 
how here's what skipping looks like at seven minute pace on the treadmill. Here's what skipping looks like at six minute pace. Here's what it looks like at five oh, minute cool. pace. And I just like, this is, this is so interesting. Cause again, it's just, this is just, I, I was, as soon as he was doing that, I was thinking, what if you taught someone running this way? Not, not do this, 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 but literally, all right, run this pace with the, the slowest, the, the, the um, slowest cadence, the biggest strides you can. All right. Sure. Now run it with the fastest strides you can. All right, now, and, and just let them solve it that way and start there. And then you could go in, you know, if, if needed, and, and you could start getting in a little bit of minutia. But I just think it's interesting sure. just to watch that guy from the starting point of play. Like, I was watching him do bounding at 430 mile pace for like, I, I watched that video he did probably 10 times just because I was so fascinated with how he did it because it did not look like the bounding that would be typically coached with like a high knee in front or anything like that. Sure, sure. But it was just super cool to yeah. watch that organization. I feel like that should be a special event, like a bound, I don't know, bound a mile. <laughs> I'm, oh, I love that idea. <laughs> bound a mile competition or something. So, yeah, I thought that was really interesting. I, I did want to say, too, I was just thinking about what you said with the formula, because this got me think, put a few connections in my head, is after I, I made a post for um, like an every minute on the minute as a, a, a nice way to break through plateaus and and I had a client I trained online. He was he had sent me a message sometime after that and was saying, hey, either I didn't have time for this workout or I just saw your post and I didn't do the workout you wrote. I did every minute on the minute and it was amazing. I feel so good the next day. But then I'm like, well, what exercises did you do? I don't even know what exercise. I think he just put exercises he wanted in, but that's the magic of it. Let he put that's the magic. what he wanted in and I just gave him right. the principles out and he had a great workout. And honestly, if I would have put, said, hey, do this, 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 it might have been a good workout, but I think it was the best because he put those in there, you know? And, and he sure. also had the background that we've, of the framework that we've been training together for years now. So, I think that probably influenced his choices, but at the end of the day, it was his decision, his intuition, flow, and that's what ultimately made it what it was. It wasn't this exact formula, which is the really cool part of it. Yeah, that's beautiful. For a while, I was doing this practice, and I still do it sometimes, but this was a very regular practice that I had, um, and I called it to infinity, right? Um, and that's because I have a timer, and I put it on to go off every two, two minutes for infinity. So, it's called to infinity. And the basic idea was, um, and this is when I was trying to cultivate some of the kind of, some chi things, right? A, a quality in my body that I knew how to practice, but I had too many things to practice, um, I was getting into my head. I, I was getting bogged down. So basically what I would do is for two minutes, I would just do something and it could be something simple like standing and then just sinking a little bit and then rising back up and then sinking. And I just do that for two minutes and just feel all of that. And in the process of doing that over two minutes, this impulse to do something else would arise. So when the timer rang, I would do something else. And that would be standing and like raising my arms and sinking and letting my arms sink, right? And I do that for two minutes. And that becomes something else like, oh, now I want to sweep the arms out and touch the floor. And it would just kind of evolve. But I really gave myself time to like, enter the experience of doing one pattern for a while. It's essentially, I think it's like one of the most intuitive ways to learn how to feel your energy system. So, it's like Qigong, but for anybody with no special movements. It's just any movement you feel like doing, just stick with it, commit to it, and do it. And of course, like if you're doing push-ups for two minutes, that's too much, right? So we're talking about soft movements that can be repeated. Yeah. So that yeah, that that was a nice um formula, principle, game. Not a formula. I guess it's a game or a structure. Yes. That's okay. another thing to to, to kind of like make a distinction between the difference between a formula and a structure, right? Um a structure is the rules of football. And then you can have all sorts of strategies to like play. And a good coach has strategies, not formulas, right? Mm -hmm. Even though they might use, employ a, a strategy many, many times. Um, so yeah, that, that felt like a really good structure for me to like develop. Maybe not something your, your, your listeners are super interested in, but like this sense of inner chi and flow and ease and relaxation. Yeah, well, I think that could that principle could be easily transposed onto anything else. Like, for example, like you could do the same thing, and every two minutes, like let's just say you're running, 
And every two minutes, you have to just fundamentally change the way you run a little bit. You know, it could be your warm yeah. your warm up could be all right. You're gonna you know if you're gonna go out for I I don't do this, but if you're gonna go out for a ten mile run, my my limit is about three minutes, and I'm running over rocks in the or three miles. Sorry, and I'm running over rocks yeah. in the creek. That's that's how I run. Um, just because my okay. training is more sprint oriented, but you could do if you're gonna go for a ten miler, maybe your first ten minutes is every two minutes. You just do something fundamentally different. You stick with that and explore that. And you yeah. use that as your warm up. And I was even thinking too, and I've done this ever since um, our time in Asheville together at the workshop. Um, you, the warm up that you had us do was like five minutes of, of just shaking type work, or vi- you could just say kind of jumping, vibration, yeah. finding yeah. Um, like, like tight points and trying to release that. And then the arm swings was really interesting. It's like five minutes to swing your arms like dead weight. Like anyone listening to this, like Dan John and Pavel's fast and loose stuff, like from the martial arts, just letting the arms basically be like dead weight and feeling them swinging. And as I was doing the swing, the swings particularly, I really got this connection to the way that some elite like dunkers or basketball, like people who can dunk like and get their heads over the rim. I got this connection to how they use their arms while they're jumping, which is right. incredibly, uh, not all of them, but some are so whippy. And, and it's so whippy, it actually almost creates a wave through the spine. And yeah. if it was just like, hey, Joel, go do that for three sets of 10, think about these three things, I probably would have only got about 30 to 40% of what those athletes actually do. But if it's five minutes and you didn't tell, you didn't put anything in my head about it, it I just figured it out. I, yeah. I started to really feel what it's like to have my arms whip like that. And um, the people listening to the dunker who exemplifies that the most is Jordan Kilgannon. He was on like the Dunk King and does all these crazy dunks. But he's so, his arms are so whippy, it, it literally creates this almost wave through his spine. And he has so much whip and momentum. And I remember after we did that warm up, I was walking back to the car to get some water or whatever. And I'm walking back and I saw a tree branch overhead and I just let my arms do that thing and it literally just pulled me off the ground and it was something where I wouldn't have gotten that if it was formulaic and three sets of 10 and I and I always look at how these athletes are learning this on their own they don't have someone coaching them teaching them the form they're just exploring it over and over again and I think that's part of being a good athlete just good athletes just kind of get these skills a little bit more easily they kind of have that but you, you also, within that, though, you wonder how much of that could be learned like that because it is, it's body awareness and it's sitting with sensations and things that your body does and linking it together. It's, it, there's a lot of yeah. what goes into that. Um, and we can make it formulate, right. but it's also cool to expose athletes to, hey, just do this thing for a little while. And maybe you put one thing in their head about it. Maybe, you know, they, this could link to jumping or this is how one athlete chooses to use their arms, explore that momentum and um yeah i i will say too i went back when i went back to the gym at home i was doing the swings between like hurdle jumps i had a hurdle and i was doing those swings and i uh, the way i felt going into the plant i don't know if i've ever felt that like connected and that much of a surge would be the only way to explain it it's almost like the leg that the arms created allowed a more of a surge and even the way my body could drop was enhanced but there was all sure. like this formula that started with, hey, swing your arms for five minutes, Joel. And yeah, yeah, yeah. See what happens. So. Yeah, no, I, I, I really love the, the, the arm swings, you know? And when, you're, when, when I lead people through the arm swings, it's like, we just start with the arm swings, stationary. Like, see what it's like. There's a few ways to swing that, right? And then what happens when we take this pattern and start moving with it? Like just locomotion, just walking with it or leaping with it. It like without having to make the connection, people start to feel the connections like, yeah. oh my God, I'm so light on my feet. You know, like, yeah, yeah. Arm swings are amazing. Shaking, arm swings. And then the other piece for me is getting down on the ground and getting mm-hmm. back up again. Because that just builds such a connection to the the pathways your body can comfortably use to fall and to pick yourself up or to roll. Yeah. Um, and I find that when the fear of falling is not in my system, I'm much more bold, attentive, and able to commit to whatever movement I'm doing, right? When the floor is no longer a scary thing I'm trying to avoid. Um, so that's, that's also been really big in my practice. And I've seen a lot of people benefit tremendously from just getting down and getting up in as many different ways as possible. 
um, starting slow and then building the speed. So, you know, by the end of a practice, they're leaping in the air, just collapsing into a heap and rolling out of it and springing back up again. But it's not that we start there, right? We, we start super, super slow, just ease down, ease back up. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that you mentioned, uh, it was at the workshop was the, I'm going to butcher exactly what it's called. It's like the coyote teacher or something where oh, yeah, yeah. you're teaching uh, a print, a, a thing through, through a game. Like a game is teaching you. It's kind of like, I guess like Mr. Miyagi would be an example, right? Like you're washing the fence and you're doing the motions yeah. like the, the, the karate kid, he's doing the circular motions. And then, but it really was teaching him what he was going to end up doing when he fought. And right. I was thinking about, um, I mean, correct me if I'm, or you can go into that more uh, as well and, and um, expand on that te coyote teacher because I thought it was really cool. But I was thinking about, it's right because I absorbed this in the weeks after the workshop was like segmental rolling, like just rolling on the ground. Um, I've had Tim Anderson, uh, who is part of the original strength original uh, system. Strength guy, yeah. And, yeah. And he does a lot of crawling, but the, the, his two major fundamentals are crawling and rolling. And I heard, um, there's a guy who goes by, it's like, Vav, <laughs> I had to spell it. it's V A H V A Vava or I'm I, something like that. Fitness. He's got like a okay. beard or me does it anymore. It looks kind of like a Viking does all these calisthenics, really cool channel. And he was talking about, um, like the three levels of, of performance are basically like three levels of where you work. One was standing. Uh, one is in a crouch position, which is like a bear crawl or like a duck walk. Like you're walking like a duck. And the other is on the ground, like where your back or your stomach or something's on the ground. And I was kind of thinking of the rolling and falling as like coyote. It's like, okay, you could teach people segmental rolling. I think that's valuable. But how could you sneak it in there? Like how, if you wanted to sneak that bottom layer, like of segmental rolling in there, just having people fall for, <laughs> hey, practice falling and rolling for five minutes in different ways. That's a, that's a fun way to sneak it in there, you know, because you're getting yeah. that still. It might not be in the specific, you know, you're spiraling your body way and maybe you could go, you could go in and teach that certainly, but it's. To me, it's like if you had a group and you weren't trying to break anything down and just expose people to that bottom base layer, that that would be a really fun way to do it. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's a great way to kind of get, get that in. And I kind of started doing that because I realized like when I was teaching like games where we were doing some, some grapply stuff, people had a fear of getting down onto the ground. Um, so, like, how do I deal with that without telling them that they're scared of getting down to the ground? Oh. As part of the warm-up, let's get down on the ground and get back up a whole bunch. And now we're doing the thing and someone comes and tackles me and like, I'll just get right back. To, I'll get down and, you know, pull them in a position that's advantageous to me. You know, I'll get down, spin them out of the way and I'll end up on top of them. And it's not because a technical skill that I learned. It was, it's because um, a pathway is open and more available. Um, so my body knows how to, my body can defend itself. My body knows how to act because that was just like warmed up and opened up yeah yeah so the coyote mentoring thing is um essentially this it became popular in like the wilderness education world you know john young um tom brown there's a whole bunch of people who are like wilderness and a nature connection educators and kyle at the, at, at the retreats is he's he kind of is a big fan a big proponent of coyote mentoring that's what he does at return to source a lot of the games he presents. In a sense, I think I do too. Um, but essentially the idea is like do a task. Like for example, uh at our retreat or our, our workshop, someone's in the center blindfolded, they have a sword, right? A noodle. And we're as a as a group are trying to like touch the person and come back out without being hit by this person with the sword. Um that's just the game, right? But then when we discuss like what did we learn during this game? Well, we learned how to track someone's movement. We learned like what side is dangerous to approach on, what side is safe to approach on. We learned how to move silently, right? So there's all these, um, we didn't talk about the skills that were required to be successful, but so much learning happened in a kind of sideways way, just because you needed to learn these things to accomplish the task. And the feedback was immediate and direct. So the capacity to kind of, integrate that feedback and try again and iterate and iterate and iterate is really um, quite rapid. It's a, it's a very rich learning environment, um, which would be like a, 
I guess that's the technical geeky way to talk about it. It's very intuitive though. Like even without breaking it down and talking about why it's valuable, like I think most people just get like, ah, do this thing. You'll learn a lot, you know? <laughs> yeah. With, um, you know, with the learning too, you know, it's something that I think is so apparent and it's interesting hearing your background, like triathlon into yoga. And I know you actually kind of worked out of yoga into what you do now. For me, the thing so glaringly always holding me back as an athlete, <laughs> especially mm -hmm. team sports. I mean, I think this is what part of the reason why I landed in track, but even track, I've, I've put more inner game and more exploration and like the motor learning principles in the track uh, variability sure. that have been a lot of fun and, and honestly have made that training better. But I know in basketball, for example, or even soccer probably early on, but especially basketball, the thing that we talked about Sean White, even like the slight not caring, um, the thing that really held me back, I think, and, and I experience, have experienced it in working with you is like the layers of play that exist basically from a really relaxed warm up all the way. To, all right, we're playing and competing now, because I think for me, sure. you know, it's like how many modes do you have? And I think a lot of people, it's either you're doing nothing or it's 100% out pure outer game. I'm trying to win and compete. And in working with you, it's like you realize all the layers that can go in between. And the best way I could, I could explain that would be maybe with basketball as an example, there's you're playing the competitive game, but then there's also maybe three on three where you're with your buddies and you're trying some different moves. Like Jeremy Frisch, who's a coach who's been on the show, works with youth. He's actually up in your neck of the woods in Massachusetts, has talked about it's good for players to not do like AAU basketball year round, just competing at a highish level year round and spend time just playing and doing three on three where they're creative, they're learning different moves. And I was even watching a clip um, of it was Michael Jordan and Shaq and they were, it was like the all-star game and they're like playing one-on-one -on -one in the warmups of the all-star game. But the way they're playing, they're not like going at the game the same way they would if it was the actual game. They're kind of like trying different moves having fun, you know, still playing. Track. Yeah, like enjoying each other's company. Exactly, right? exactly, yeah. exactly. Enjoying, it's like playing with the frame of enjoying the other person's company. And right. I don't think we ever really talk about that because I just think, and those two, obviously masters of their craft. And it's like, that's the thing I think we don't often see. And, and not to mention how enjoyable it makes the process to treat it that way. And so I know in, in the games that you provided, it really taught me a lot about, and I'll just let you explain this because I'm gonna, I'm not gonna do a very good prelude of it. But like, basically, how do you approach a a play or a, a I guess you could say competing a game constraint with somebody where you're enjoying the different layers of 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 playing the game that isn't just I'm gonna win or lose. Um, sure. I hope you know what I'm asking there, but I'd love it if you expanded on that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, the way I like to explain it is. Um, essentially talking about inner game and outer game. Um, outer game is the obvious thing we're trying to do. Anyone passing by can see it. And the inner game is how much fun am I having? How pleasurable is this? How much fun are you having if I'm competing with you? How fun is this for you? How much connection do I feel to you? How much connection do I feel to myself? Right? So the inner game is a little more nebulous, but, but just those prompts can point us in that direction. And then I like to say, we're actually doing the inner game. And the outer game is just creating a container for us to work on the inner game. Um, and I like to do this with like very, very simple games. Like, like one we did a lot of is like a face tag game, for example. Like I'm going to try to reach out and touch your face. And you, with as little effort as possible, you kind of block that, deflect my hand. You're going to try to reach out and touch my face. I block it, deflect it. And now we have, and it's not just this exchange of my turn, your turn. It's like, we're both trying to touch each other's faces at the same time. We're both defending our faces at the same time. It could get super competitive if we don't have that inner game frame. Um, often at first, I also like to ask people to do it with as little physical effort as possible. Um, and that's not a constraint that stays throughout the thing, but I think it's a very, very good way to break patterns and kind of override some of the reflexes, which are good reflexes, but become super habitual. So we just override that for a moment so we can get into this like, oh, I do not have to use any energy. Like I don't have to hold my arm rigid. I'm not bench pressing. I'm simply like deflecting a hand that's coming at me with no speed whatsoever. Cool. 
So I, I recalibrate to the task. Um, and then it, I can kind of successively build things from there. I don't know if that answers the question, but that frame of inner game, outer game, really, really good. The other thing is demonstrating it so people can see what it looks like. And it doesn't often look the way people think it's going to look, right? Like, oh, wow, that's really soft and relaxed. And then trying to go around and work with different athletes and, um, or people in the workshop and be like, hey, do this with me for a second. If people are having trouble, they're like, oh, wow, you feel like a cloud. Like you're so soft. Like, okay, I get it. Right. And I think one of the things that happens when people play that way is they, um, the relational aspect lights up. Like I'm playing with you. I realize you're fucking sneaky as shit. Like you're a fucking sneaky, Joel, you're a sneaky mother. Look how you're distracting me and doing this thing while you kind of sneak in, you know, like, so it's, it's really nice because our, our little tricksters come out, you know, and, um, and it's nice to kind of point that out to each other, talk about it, enhance that, you know, um, when I'm not using the strategy I normally use to win the strategy I habitually use, what else do I have to rely on? Um, yeah. Yeah. That could apply to like literally anything. And I think that this stuff hits home to me so much. and. Maybe just to people who landed more on, I guess you call it the sports performance side. Because I know for me, I was not as good at all these things in the game. (laughs) So what did I do? What was my go-to? How can I jump higher? How can I run faster? How can I be in better condition to run up and down the court? How can I try harder than you? And that was my strategy where if the other team wasn't that athletic and I felt good about myself, I could have a great game. If the other team was athletic, now all my stuff that I had was kind of broken out. And not only would I not play well, but it wasn't fun. <laughs> and yeah. you think about, well, what makes an athlete good at something? And it's all, it's being able to explore all those things. Well, what, okay, I don't have this superpower. All right, well, I'm going to find this way now. I'm going to problem solve and find this way to do it. And yeah. it even makes me think about, um, you mentioned too, like how can we, like if it's just a one-on-one situation, how can we collaborate and both have fun with this? And I even think about, like you mentioned the trickster, like my son is five and he loves, if he feels like he tricks somebody in, in something and was able to, like it, athletics or otherwise, he just gets, he just laughs and thinks it's awesome. So we're playing soccer and I'll be like, hey, fake, I, I tell him about fakes, like I'm teaching him how to fake me one way and, and he'll do it and I'll like totally sell, like act like I'm so faked out. Yeah, it's like you broke your ankle, you fall, right? And he like, just oh, how did you do that? I thought you were over here. And he thinks it's yeah, he thinks it's so funny. But I I I I love doing those um, play based activities with him, uh, partially because it's just fun, but then also because I'm like, man, I didn't do you know I didn't do any of this, and I didn't see the joy in all these options and playing. And so to me, that's that is a really big part of it. Even um. It's even worked its way into the way I approach like outputs though, because when I do outputs, a lot of times it's, I'll start with how easy can I make this? You know, what's the, how can I do the skill with the most ease or find the most base level rhythm and just work with that base level rhythm for a little bit. And then I'll build on it versus I think if it was me 10, 15 years ago, and maybe this is, but maybe, you know, when I'm, when I was younger, maybe this is just the way to do it when you're younger, you know, and, but it would just right. be like, all right, what's the get out the timer, do all these at max effort. Um, but it's, there's a lot of joy in finding ways to accomplish things with a little bit less effort or, or creatively. Um, I think you guys were talking about even like jujitsu, which is something I haven't gotten into, but like when you're rolling with someone, it's like, Hey, I want to try these things. I want to work on this move or this type of move. And you are working together to to help the person learn something. And I think that's, I, I just think that's really cool because I don't know how often that necessarily exists in other sports where it's like, hey guys, pair up or girls pair up and so-and-so is going to work on this and, and try to help them work on that. I, I've never really, I haven't seen it framed that way that much in team sport, you know, where it's like yeah. creative one-on-ones and, and things were yeah. the collaborative one-on-ones. It's usually hey, you do this, you're trying to stop. And I'm sure, you know, that's great. I'm sure there's a lot of good that comes with that. But I, I think, oh, what about the other side of it? What about the other side that can make somebody, you know, you get this fullness of that inner game experience and yeah, that collaboration. Yeah, what's really exciting about what you're saying is um, this notion that, you know, we have all this fancy stuff to monitor athletes. Mm-hmm. and um, But 
no matter how good the technology gets, I still feel that like a human body, a human system is an incredible pattern recognizing Mm -hmm. entity, right? So I have this very sophisticated pattern recognition thing just built into me and you have it built into you. Now we can apply it to each other and recognize patterns and just kind of like, just give each other our feedback, right? And then we get to interact with other people, we get feedback from them. Then we get to interact with other people and get feedback from them. So I might not be 100% accurate, but if I can kind of average out all the feedback I got from everybody on the team, there's a lot of accuracy there, Mm -hmm. right? And um, I'm clear about where my weaknesses are, where my openings are, where my gaps of attention are, because it's like, it's been repeated over and over again. So it's it's something that I think about a lot, like, how can we get more um, how can we take advantage of like people's innate intelligence and capacity for pattern recognition rather than have that be exclusively the job of the coach? Um, what that does for athletes is it also gets them conceptually to understand what to look for, where are weaknesses, where are strengths, right? Um, so if you're training people not only to perform, but how to see what good performance is and what bad performance is, or see how to enhance performance. Um, feel how to enhance performance, help other people enhance their performance. They're actually learning how to enhance their own performance. So, yeah. It makes me think about, yeah, it's just interesting the way we typically get feedback, like in an athletic situation would be maybe you do certain constraints, one-on-ones, two-on-twos, and it's the coach giving you feedback. But what if it was like, all right, we're going to do all these one-on-ones and you're going to do these against a bunch of different athletes on your team, six, seven, or eight, and then all those athletes, you at the end got feedback from those eight athletes, not necessarily a coach, but it's like they, the athletes said what told you what they saw in you, you know? And I think that, yeah, that's just such a, that's just such a cool collaborative framework. And I'm, I'm just look back on my athletic experience and it's always, it was always just, what did the coach say? One, one perspective. And yes, one experience perspective, but I think getting the perspective of the other individuals you're collaborating with is so valuable. And I think we did some, you know, we did a lot of dialogue-based stuff too in the workshop. Um, Yeah. And I think that also can merge in really well, where it's like you're getting perspectives of a lot of people on your aspects of your performance. Yeah. I think that's, it's a great way to kind of open up channels of communication in a team, um, get people really invested in each other's progress um, and like loving the sport, right? Not from a, intellectual thing but it's like oh i actually have something to contribute you know um like if if there can be an open forum or an open place where super biomechanically inclined person can share their stuff but someone who's a little more feel-based can also share their stuff it's like yeah it just didn't it felt heavy like you're doing this and it feels heavy Mm. that's good feedback too maybe even more valuable you know like can you be lighter could you like be aware of the space above you or something because it feels like you're just like <laughs> down on the ground all the time like that may be just as valuable that as like you know the kinetic chain is broken over here and you yeah, gotta like yeah, connect right. <laughs> yeah yeah community-based feedback i think that's so interesting it, it does i've mentioned this on the show before there was a coach um I, I did one season as a volunteer right when i finished at cal i volunteered at a high school it was a little too far away uh for me to continue um volunteering there but I would work with them and the coach, um, the coach there, he, I think sometimes it was a shortage of coaches too. And I, I don't know what the rules are for this with pole vault, pole vault, super technical track event, but sure. he would have athletes like he would tell his athletes, one person watched the person's run up, one person listened to the run up, I think like, and it was like different, mm-hmm. like people experiencing that person's movements in a different way. And it'd be interesting to yeah, have them give feedback. The person who's visual, obviously, it's like, hey, you were you were here, you planted this far from the pole vault box, you were under or over or whatever, or you were behind or in front of it, right? Um, or the other person who heard the person say, hey, you sounded like this. You know, it'd be interesting to get, yeah, just set up great. where you could have your and just the two the the development getting feedback from your teammates builds such camaraderie. You know, like it, it's different than just talking to them. You know than just having a conversation. It's like being related to the, the movement. Yeah. It, it, yeah, deepens right. those layers. And it makes everyone um, matter more, you know, Some, somehow. It's just like, hey, we're a, we're, a, we're a group. There's group intelligence here. And by s- explicitly eliciting feedback from every member of the group, 
there is, um, we're just um, acknowledging that there's group intelligence and we're enhancing it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think there's there's uh, there's so much there because and like you had kind of alluded to earlier, I think these are things that you know, be it a sports team or another any anything else in society, this could apply to anything. Um, well, hey, just take it off here. So, what um, are finishing this out? Uh, how how do people learn more about what you do? Contact you? You know, you um, you're not really much of an Instagram person, Aaron. <laughs> no, I'm not. And I do that on purpose. That's I've, I've kind of yeah. made a, a pact with myself that like, I will be as human as possible. <laughs> and so, my stuff is very, very relational. And as soon as I start doing stuff on the web, I become more disconnected. So, the way people get in touch with me is they just text me. And then we call and we talk. We set up a Zoom call. But like, I literally just give my number out. So it's um, Aaron Cantor, and the number is 857-919-0014. And we just set up a conversation. And I've had like, I've been on a few podcasts, and I always give my number out. And I always am surprised at how few people actually, like it's reaching so many people. But there's something a little bit like daunting about like, what, just call this person up? Holy shit. Um, but, but I do, I've, after every podcast, I definitely make a few like really good good connections with people um so yeah awesome that's how it works i don't know how <laughs> i don't know how that's good i love how it. that works for like as a business strategy but that's my way of doing it well let's say hey along the whole line of scalability it's like if if you were putting putting out four instagram posts a week and you had the official you know it just wouldn't be the same so, so right. yeah the phone number is awesome man well hey uh, thank you so much it was great uh, it was great having you on the podcast. It was just great catching up with you again. I always enjoy these yeah, conversations, man. man. Yeah. Really, really nice to see you, Joel. And uh, I look forward to more. I want to sprint with you sometime soon. Yeah, we'll, we'll get it done. I'm sure we'll come up with a lot of good stuff. It'll be a lot of fun. So, thank you. That finishes another podcast. Thanks for tuning in and I'll see you next week.